This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is What I learned at 20 is you Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast following our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. I am excited for this episode. It can, it can sometimes feel tough to get excited with the markets doing what they are, but uh, we have a returning favorite here joining us today, and how could we be not excited about about that. That's it. It is our absolute pleasure to welcome Julia Lee back to the Equity Mate studio. Julia, welcome. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on again. So, as Ren said, Julia is a returning favorite here at Equity Mates. Uh, suggest going and listening back on uh, the number of episodes we've done with Julia over the last uh, number of years. She is the Chief Investment Officer at Berman Invest and has been closely watching the Australian stock market. And uh, we're here to unpack what Julia is seeing at the moment and how. She's positioning her portfolio as a result. So we've got plenty of sort of key topics that we want to touch on. So let's kick it off with current market conditions, Ren. Well, don't ask me. Ask Julia. <laughs> Julia, uh, the, the year has been tough in Australia, but it's been even tougher in the US. You're primarily focused uh, here, back here at home in Australia. So... What are you saying? How are you thinking about it? How would you sum up the uh, the opening few months of 2022? Uh, well, 2022 has definitely been tough. And I guess, guys, when I look at the market, I like to look at it in terms of cycles and the cycle certainly has turned. Um, and that really means that you do need to have a bit of a different mindset as, as an investor. Um, we've gone from easy monetary policy into a tightening environment and that's a more difficult uh, environment for investors as well as the markets. It's also quite an exciting one if um, you are all about market timing. Um, the volatility means that there's lots of movements in share prices to take advantage of. But generally, as interest rates are rising and just at that inflection point, there's um, sort of worries around those interest rate sensitive stocks. Um, and I guess, you know, just having a look at it from a, an investment point of view or even a company fundamental point of view, um, rising interest rates means that the cost of a borrowing is more expensive, which means it's more difficult to, to make 
a profit. And also companies that rely on that future profitability, there's more doubt around it. So future growth is discounted uh, quite severely. So those high growth areas like tech, well, uh, you know, we've seen a pretty painful ride there. Um, on the flip side, generally you see more defensive sectors doing well. And I guess given the inflationary environment, um, the commodity space also doing well. So we've just uh, overnight or over the last sort of 24 hours, uh, inflation over in the UK has hit 9% uh, for the year to April, which is pretty astounding and we're seeing sort of similar numbers over in the US and of course Australia is um, facing into some inflation headwinds as well and as such we're uh, we're seeing interest rates. So when you're uh, you know experiencing a market like this, how do you think about starting to reposition your portfolio, Julia? Sure. I guess firstly, when we're seeing a market like this, I think it helps to break it into time buckets. So short term, medium term and long term. Um, long term, we know that, you know, interest rates are rising on the back of, you know, inflationary worries. But short term, you know, there is a question on whether we have seen inflation peaking. And I think central to that is just watching what's happening in China. China is the manufacturing hub of the world. Over the last couple of months, we've seen um, major lockdowns in key cities in China, which has um, impacted on the supply chain, which means that, you know, the goods that are out there have been disrupted transportation costs, um, and then add into the mix the war between um, Ukraine, Russia, the conflict there, um, and the impact that's had particularly on energy prices and security. So I guess the question is, you know, is inflation going to get worse from this point or is it going to get better? And the reason why the central banks are trying to uh, tackle inflation here by raising interest rates is they're hoping that by raising interest rates, there'll be less demand for goods. So hopefully inflation will come down. But I think separate to that, investors do need to be watching China because if we start to see that supply chain going again, um, well, maybe we'll see goods flowing again and a, a greater supply of goods also brings down prices. I remember in previous uh, episodes we've done with you, you had some some novel ways of, I guess, researching companies. I remember when the baby formula craze was really hot, you would be uh, walking the the aisles of Coles and Woolies and seeing what was on special and what was sold out and stuff like that. When it comes to something like inflation, uh, you mentioned that it's important to look overseas, Russia and Ukraine, the China zero COVID story and the lockdowns as a result. Uh, but are there any lead indicators here at home that you're keeping an eye on that will sort of give you a clue about where inflation is going, you know, retail prices or anything like that that you uh, keep a close eye on? Uh, it's a really good question. And I, I guess... Um when when we look at it, it, it comes to the heart of what's driving prices at the moment. And I guess the question around um, the economy is an important one because, you know, when we look at the market, there's sort of three key lenses to look at. Um, one is the fundamentals or what's happening in the underlying company. Uh, secondly is the technicals or the price action. And, and the third lens, I think, is the macro view, what's happening in terms of the economy. And I would say that the key driver of prices at the moment is the macro view rather than the company fundamental. And the reason I say that is because there are a number of companies that are still in an upgrade cycle um, and yet the share prices haven't been going up. So that disconnect, I think, comes from um, investors positioning because of what's happening globally in terms of the macro cycle. And I think a good example of that is Goodman Group. 
Um, this week we heard Goodman Group coming out and they increased their earnings expectations. So Goodman Group has been on this beautiful tailwind of e-commerce. So having um, that industrial property for storage to allow for a greater e-commerce to occur. And look, that tailwind is still occurring. They're still developing properties. They're doing really well. They just upgraded earnings expectations uh, from the high end of growth of 20% to 23%. And yet, you know, the share price is lower since that announcement. And the reasoning behind that is that Goodman Group is in the property space, which is impacted um, highly by rising interest rates. So, um, you know, the company fundamentals are looking good and yet the share price is going down and that's really because of the macro view. Now, here in Australia, um, we're mostly a follower. (laughs) So, rather than looking at what's happening in terms of the Australian economy, while it's important, things like um, wage inflation as well as uh, the cost of goods rising, mostly I think we're looking at our two key trading partners and that's the US and China. And I think the good news for Australian investors is that we do have high exposure to China And China's in a very different um, macro cycle to the US. The US, we're seeing rising interest rates. In China, completely the opposite, where they're looking to stimulus as well as uh, spending on infrastructure, cutting the official interest rates over there. So I think that bodes well for Australia and probably will be a key reason um, if we manage to avoid recession, while we see probably a high probability of the UK and Europe going into recession, that's probably one of the key reasons. So looking across the globe, you know, I'm a lot more positive on places like Australia and Canada because of the commodity-based exposure and the exposure to China, which is on a different macro cycle. So for a lot of the equity mates community who have started investing within the last sort of eight to 10 years, none of us have experienced interest rate rises. And so it's been a, a story of uh, growth stocks and, and tech to the moon. So um, now that we've, we're obviously going to see rates rise and uh, rise pretty sharply, what are some of the uh, sectors in the market that traditionally um, investors look to when uh, interest rates are rising? Sure. I mean, generally, if you go back into history and have a look at the correlations or the relationship between rising interest rates and the share market, you know, pre-global financial crisis, actually rising interest rates usually occurred when the share market was rising because it was indicative of a, a strong economy and economy that was improving. At the moment, what we're seeing is something a bit different, I think, and that is that inflation isn't a demand problem at the moment. It's it's also a supply problem. So, you know, some of that is simply because of COVID-19, the supply disruptions that we've been seeing. And so I think it's different to other periods in time where generally when, you know, interest rates have been rising, the share market has been rising as well. And we're just seeing worries that what we're seeing at the moment is a bit different that we're seeing rising interest rates not into a growing economic situation and growing um, economic growth, but we're actually seeing rising interest rates into a slowing economy. And I think that is the worry at the moment, that the economy has already started to slow and central banks are rise, raising interest rates because they have no other choice uh, but to tackle inflation here. So the worry is that they are too aggressive in fight, fighting inflation and what we get is a, a recession over in the major economies like the UK, Europe and possibly the US. It is a scary time uh, hearing s- some predictions like that and I guess uh, for a lot of investors like us, it can be hard to sort of 
wrap our heads around it. And that's why we turn to people like you, Julia, to, to help us understand it. When it comes to portfolio positioning at a point like this, you know, we, um, Bryce and I were chatting on a podcast earlier today about the options you have, you know, go to cash, try and play it, uh, move to a defensive position, um, maybe short the market or you just hold through and, um, and you know, wait, wait it out and really focus on the long term. There are a number of different options that investors have. Uh, how are you approaching this sell-off um, and how are you positioning your portfolio? Sure. I think the difficulty around um, shorting the market here at the moment is that the moves down are big, but the moves up are quite violent as well. So if you're positioned on the wrong side of that, um, you know, unless – you are pretty brave. <laughs> it's going to be a bit of a roller coaster ride. So, for, for uh, I guess more um, first time investors, it would be a, a chance to move more into defensive assets and cash and look at protecting your capital. Having said that, you know, the market's starting to price in the probability of recession or slowing growth. The market's always forward looking. So if you, if you think, Oh, okay, I am, I'm going to buy the market during the recession. It's usually too late. The market's already priced in the recovery. So the key for investors is not to be focusing in on what's happening now or the next six months, but what's already priced into the market and then what's likely to occur after that. So, um, I think that's a difficult thing at the moment and there's a, a lot happening. But the market, I think, is just being too pessimistic when it comes to those interest rate hikes. I don't think they're going to be as aggressive as what the market's pricing in, but that's because there's a lot of nervousness at the moment as well. So look, a market like this is hard because it's not just about company fundamentals and the price action can, um, I guess, get go into a death spiral because you, you can see, you know, large fund managers, large funds having things like margin calls, which increases the forced selling. And when there's for selling, you know, the fundamentals sort of go out the window. What that means though is for a longer term investor that can look through the cycle, there's opportunities there. So if you're not ultra short term um, and you can look through this uh, weakening cycle, then there's certainly opportunities to pick up stock at much cheaper prices. But just recognizing that many sectors of the market are tied to economic performance. And the reason why we call them cyclical is because they move in cycles. They move with the economic cycle. So usually, you know, when we're seeing a slowing down in terms of the economic cycle, we see defensive sectors outperform. Um, and defensive sectors are usually areas that we have to spend money on, whether the economy is going up or down. So, you know, things like our phone bill, utilities, our going shopping at the supermarket. So, you know, those sectors are things like telecom, utilities, uh, as well as uh, consumer staples. On the flip side, the sectors that underperform are usually growth areas of the market. And, you know, financials are very much usually um, a geared investment into the economy. Um, so they, they tend to be cyclical, um, the consumer discretionary, certainly cyclical, the industrial sector cyclical, um, commodity cyclical as well. Although, you know, I'd probably look, be looking at the China cycle as much as the rest of the globe. On the point around, um, consumer staples being defensive because people, you know, always have to buy food and, and stuff like that. Uh, I was surprised this week that Walmart and Target have been, have fallen so heavily in the US, um. Walmart, I think, down about 15%. And I think Target was down about 25% in a 24% in a trading day. How do you think about that in terms of these companies being 
you know, consumer staples, uh, but still falling significantly. Yeah, I think, um, you know, when we have a look at things like Big W, Kmart, which are probably the more equivalent here in Australia, that to me falls into the discretionary category. When I'm talking about supermarkets, I'm, I'm thinking Woolworths, Coles or, or Metcash. Um, so that's probably the more defensive part of the market where, you know, something like West Farmers, um, which sort of has a whole lot of different retail and different companies probably classified more as retail and same with the Harvey Norman's JB Hi-Fi's of the world as well. So there's fears that as, you know, interest rates rise that consumers are going to have less money to spend, they're going to be less confident. So then we are going to see those discretionary items being hit. Things like electronics, uh, entertainment, even clothing, adult clothing where, you know, you just put off buying your next pair of work shoes until there's a hole in it. <laughs> um, and, you know, that that's somewhat being reflected in the consumer confidence numbers that we're seeing here in Australia where they have been falling quite rapidly. Yeah, there's interesting areas of the market where you would also think that they were they would move with the economic cycle, things like gambling, gaming, um, casinos. But actually um, what we found from past cycles is that these areas tend to be relatively defensive, which is pretty pretty Stop. incredible. So um, you'd think that if you had less to spend in your pocket, you'd be spending less on gambling. But um doesn't seem to be the case if we have a look at um, what's happened in past cycles. Let's change tack a little. Another... Um element to all of this is the upcoming election at least it's upcoming by the t- at the time of recording by the time of release we will have had a result yeah how do you factor in the lead up to a, an election in your portfolio julia or is it something that is um it's it's just not worth worrying about. Uh, if there's major shifts in policy, um, and of course the government is one of the biggest spenders in the economy, so it is very important. Then it does impact on on specific sectors, um, especially if there's big cash splashouts. Then you know we usually see the retailers having a benefit. We haven't necessarily seen much of that this time around, probably because there's less money in the kitty. But I think the major question for um, investors in Australia is whether or not we have hung parliament because that's probably um, the most bearish scenario for Australian investors. I'm having a parliament which is sort of hamstrung and where not a lot happens and there's not a lot of agreement. So um, it would be good if we, if one party or the other got control, but in terms of policies, you know, there's not a huge amount of difference between the two parties uh, here in Australia. So I think it's more on whether we get a hung parliament or not, which is important when it comes to elections. Well, Julia, there's a whole other conversation we could have about the how much actually gets done in a minority par- parliament. I think if we look back at 2010, they actually were probably more productive than perhaps some of the parliaments that came after them. Uh, but look, this isn't a politics... for Prime Minister. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't a politics podcast, as Bryce keeps reminding me. So uh, we'll move on to something that you know has buoyed Australian investors and Australian markets of late, which is commodity prices. Um, the Being a nation that digs stuff out of the ground and sends it overseas has really worked in our favour the last sort of six to 12 months. But I guess the question is how long can it last? On one hand, people talk about a commodity super cycle and prices just 
going from strength to strength. On other hands, people talk about uh, perhaps this being uh, close to the peak of the cycle for some of these key commodities, especially the energy commodities. How are you thinking about it? How are you viewing it? And I guess, how are you positioning the portfolio as a result? Sure. Um, it's a good question. And I think when you're looking at energy, you have to look at it maybe differently from other commodities out there. Um, we we talked about how China and the rest of the world is on a different cycle at the moment. So China's looking at stimulus through things like infrastructure. And that's good news for things like iron ore, which needs to be used for steel to make bridges and buildings. But on the flip side, when you're looking at energy and the oil and gas space, it's very different where we've seen prices there um, increasing and, you know, oil prices are over 100 US a barrel at the moment. And that's mainly on concerns around energy security and the conflict between Ukraine and Russia. Long term, is that 100 US a barrel price sustainable? I don't think so. Um, when the cost of production is, you know, sort of under 50 US a barrel, it doesn't take much to bring more oil back online. It just takes time. Um, so it's a timing issue, I think, in terms of the energy market um, and all about short term price action rather than long term price action. Long term prices should probably settle more closer to 60, 70 US a barrel as a fair price. So look, I think you have to be careful in terms of the oil market. I think if you heard that, uh, you know, Russia and Ukraine had come to a peace agreement, you'd naturally see oil prices taking a massive tumble. So oil is very different to how uh, some of our other major commodities are trading. You know, when we're watching China coming back online, we know at the heart of economic performance is the health performance. And we know China's still sticking to COVID zero. So watching the health implications very closely, given that what happens if you see another five cases of COVID in Beijing or Shanghai, do we see another lockdown? Um, so I think policy there is very important. The longer we see China keeping to that zero COVID policy, Policy, um, and COVID being an issue, the longer we're going to see, you know, a, a negative economic performance, not only for China, but for Australia, especially our commodity and best diggers of dirt in the world. Um, <laughs> so um, watching, watching China closely um, and hopefully we do see that zero COVID policy being abandoned in China um, because it's having a, a massive impact over there, not only on on people, their, their mental state, but also in terms of economic performance and um, destruction of um, potential growth. Yeah, it's such a radical policy. I just do not understand how they believe it's sustainable. Like the moment they open borders to anyone and store like... Yeah, COVID will come COVID back in. is like just yeah. going to come straight in. It's just I don't understand. But anyway, we're not here to debate. China's political policies. So, uh, Julie, before we uh, turn to other areas of the markets, uh, we're just going to take a very quick break to hear from our sponsors. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, so, Julia, we're in the midst of a, a pretty heavy tech sell-off. We've seen some of the, the big names that went so well during COVID, the Pelotons, the Zooms, all being hit incredibly hard. And for some of our audience, 
um, you know, it's it's a time that we've never experienced before and we've never seen such a high negative numbers next to some of the uh, positions in our portfolios. With, with your experience and, and knowledge of what's going on, I guess the question is with the unprofitable tech sell-off, like how, how bad do you think it could get? Oh, well, it is, Tough question. it already is pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. I know. I mean, but like... share prices down sort of 70 to 90% in some of these cases. Um, you know, think, things are pretty bad in that space. And the easy money is gone. So mm. it is all about being able to see that path to profitability or being secure around um, growth. And I think what the pandemic really did, it pushed future growth into the pandemic period. Um, and what we're seeing now is that, you know, those growth rates that we saw during the pandemic and that were pretty much priced in forever for investors, well, that's not going to be the case. So that's what we're seeing. We're seeing um, markets sort of looking at the growth scenario for, you know, companies like Netflix, Zoom, Peloton, um, that all really benefited during the pandemic and saying, well, you know, we saw this fantastic growth during lockdown. Where to now? And, you know, of course, they're not going to be able to reach the same heights because they did accelerate growth. Um, and now we're seeing a slowing down of growth. And and that's just the market. Um, we saw this during the, the tech boom and wreck back in 2000. Um, where we were seeing companies coming out and, you know, valuations do matter in the end um, and valuations in this space have been huge. I mean, to give you an idea, you know, the average multiple for the Australian market is about 16 times earnings. Um, that means that, you know, if earnings were to remain stable, you'd pay off your investment sort of in 16 years. But uh, for the tech space, in a lot of these scenarios, you know, it, it, it's not unusual to see more multiples at a hundred times current mm. earnings or a thousand times current earnings or, you know, there is no multiple yeah. because there is no earnings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in that type of scenario, that that's fine when the economy is doing well um, because all that talks about is expectations. So for a company with a PE ratio, let's say of 30 times or a multiple of 30 times, the general rule of t- thumb is I want to see earnings growing 30% over the next couple of years. But a company with a, a multiple of 100 times, you, you know, I want to see earnings growing 100% over the next couple of years. And a company with earnings multiple of a thousand times, well, I want to see that company growing earnings by a thousand percent over the next couple of years. And that's fine as long as the company can achieve that. But, you know, if a company is priced to see, you know, 100% growth over the next couple of years and it's only able to achieve 10%, you know, what's going to happen to the share price? Is it going to adjust upwards for that information or downwards? And the answer is downwards. And that's what we're really seeing at the moment, that these companies are on very high multiples and high growth expectations and they're unable to fulfill them. So the way it works is that the share price adjusts downwards to allow for that new information. I mean, if a company on a multiple of 100 was able to see growth at 1,000%, would the share price, you know, um, adjust upwards or downwards in that scenario? And the answer is upwards. And that's also why during our reporting season, sometimes you see companies coming out with a record profit result, profits grown by 30% and the share price goes down because, you know, the market had priced in growth of 60% and they only came out with 30%. So does the share price adjust upwards or downwards in that scenario and it adjusts downward to that information. So it's important to keep up to date with company forecasts for growth um, and also, 
you know, the expectations or the consensus forecasts in the market um, for that growth as well. Um, because the market is just a pricing mechanism. I've never heard that rule of thumb before, but I kind of like it. It's quite clean. If uh, a company's trading at a 10 PE, you want the, them to see, you want to see them grow their earnings at 10% a year. It was that, that was it, right? It's an adjustment of the PE ratio. So it's called the PEG ratio. Ah, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Over yeah. growth. Yeah. Um, so it's just re- instead of letting, um, you know, valuations seem like a sort of, like an imaginary thing or a made-up thing, what it does is it ties um, valuations to growth potential, which makes sense when it comes to investing in the market. Mm. Yeah. So, Julia, we uh, when we get you on, we love speaking about individual stocks, individual stocks that you're watching. You've had some uh, big calls over the uh, last few years. I think you picked Linus quite early is one that I always remember. Yeah, and, damn, I should have. Should have listened to Julia. Should have listened to Julia. <laughs> so, we would love to uh, talk about some uh, companies that uh, you're watching uh, that might be in the portfolio um, or that, you know, that you think are interesting at a time like this. Um, so I guess open-ended question, uh, what are some companies that are catching your eye at the moment? I think with companies, it's, it changes from week to week depending <laughs> on where the share price is and what's looking like value. Um, so I guess there's a list of companies that I'm interested in and it may not necessarily be right now, um, but if the price action gets really interesting, I'd, I'd be jumping in. But one company that I do like right now at the prices we're at is um, IDP Education. This is a company that looks at you know international student placement into universities as as well as English testing. And what I like about this company is that throughout the pandemic, they've actually made acquisitions and the acquisitions have been quite good. So they've acquired a company called BC India and not only have the synergies from this acquisition been more than expected, so the companies had a benefit from um, scale and integrating this company, but also the margins have increased since the acquisition. So they've been able to get better prices uh, going. And this is a company that has been hit by the pandemic because international students haven't been able to move freely around the globe, but they've adjusted through a digital strategy, which has been working very well for them. So coming out of the pandemic, not only will their traditional business or is their traditional business starting to see an uptick because people are starting to move around the globe, but they've got another arm, which is a digital business, which is another avenue of growth now. I think the company's coming out of the pandemic in a much stronger place than where it started. Um, so I like IDP education. The risk to that is, you know, we see competition in this area or travel once again being curtailed. But generally, you know, international student placement is, is a pretty robust industry. Yeah, I like IDP education. So then prices aside, um, and with the caveat, obviously, that this is would be a price-dependent decision, but are there what other companies are on, I guess, the watch list that um, would excite you should uh, the opportunity arise? I should mention with IDP Education, its CEO just recently mentioned that he would be resigning, um, oh. which is why the share price t- has taken a bit of a battering as well, because he has presided over the company over seven years where the share price has seen some phenomenal uh, returns and the, the company has seen some great uh, returns as well. So, you know, under his leadership, if we sort of go back seven years, um, let's have a look, two, four, six, seven, you know, the share price seven years ago was at about $3.34 and now it's at $23. Oh, so. wow. 
<laughs> so yes, there's been a big impact. But having said that, you know, the tailwinds are still there. The international movement, the India acquisition, um, that's all still in place. So that should benefit the company. It's a real, it's a real popularity contest when a CEO is either announced or resigned. Like if you if you resigned as a CEO and the share price went up, you it oh, would re- it would cut you down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There are some scenarios where that does actually happen, <laughs> which is a bit depressing if you're the CEO. Yeah. Um, but, you know, same with Linus. Amanda Wood's done such an incredible job that, you know, if she ever resigned, I'd be, I'd be crying, <laughs> I think. <laughs> but having a, a look across the portfolio, I think it is time to be a bit more defensive. You know, if you can grab stock like Transurban around $13.50, I think that's a great investment for the long term. It's inflation protected to some extent because uh, toll roads, you know, they go up with inflation. There are companies in each sector. I still like CSL around these prices, I think in terms of the cycle, it's just able to collect more blood plasma, um, which means that, um, you know, things are going back to normal, um, which I think is positive for CSL, even though it is on the higher multiple and it is looking relatively expensive. I mean, Ramsey Healthcare, we have seen a bit of takeover action there, but in terms of elective surgeries, we know there's a bounce back there as well. I'd be willing to bet that there'd be a lot more visits to dental surgeries throughout the next few years. I don't think everyone's been keeping up to date with the dental checks, which means more cavities and more work. Um, but having said that, the flip side of that is that health insurance companies are probably going to have greater claims throughout the next two to three years. So I'd pr- probably be avoiding the health insurance companies, but I do like more uh, large global insurers like QBE insurance where premiums are increasing, claims have been relatively low and the investment portfolio is seeing better returns. I mean, it's been an absolute pleasure, Julia. We have uh, we have just about run out of time and we've covered so much ground and it's uh, just been a joy to listen to you and your thoughts on the markets again. Uh, there's obviously a reason why our community love listening to you as well. So um, I hope it's all going well for you at, at, at Berman Invest and um, that you've been uh, safe and well over the last sort of, I think, I can't remember when we last spoke, to be honest, but uh, gl- glad we have got you back on. Let's so. not let's not leave it so long next time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. And don't be scared of the market volatility. I mean, these are exciting times. These are when, when you know, fortunes are made or lost. Be one of the ones that makes the fortune, not loses it. <laughs> love, love that, love yeah, that. Well, yeah, I've lost yeah. my fortune, so now I've got to rebuild. You gotta make it again. Yeah, it's a moment of a lot of possibilities. It's a lot Uh, of possibilities. That's it. A lot of possibilities. That's how we're looking at it. And um, Julia, thank you so much for your time. It's an absolute pleasure as always. Thank you very much. Love talking to you guys. Thanks, Bryce. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Julia. Equity Mates Investing Podcast is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equitymates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Equitymates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equitymates Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast or video. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. 
In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.